Hello everybody and welcome back to the Trauma of Abuse podcast. Um, my name is Hannah and I thought I'd just um, touch on a topic that we hadn't mentioned so far. So we've been doing a lot of um, domestic uh, abuse work and a lot of um, talking about the dynamics of uh, how women and mothers and children are treated etc. Um, as well as addressing some of the broader issues, cultures, practices and touching on those and I think I, I, I just watched um, a documentary, um, very short documentary, it's worth checking out um, on BBC iPlayer if you've, if you've got access to BBC iPlayer um, you can watch it um, called um, Is My Uni Racist? And um, it triggered a little memory of my own actually, a couple of memories in fact um, that I thought I'd just talk about from my own experience. Now, I'm not a black woman. Um, I've never suffered any attacks for being um, of colour. And um, basically, I thought it'd be really interesting to talk about my time when I was younger. And I'd first gone off to university in a different part of the, the UK. Um, I was a fair way from home. And I was quite young. I wasn't streetwise. I'd never lived away from home before. And there's two aspects to this, really, that I wanted to bring into it, was to say, you know, you might want to... Because um, the podcast, you might want to watch that to educate yourselves about some of the um, individuals in that, I think, are relevant to this podcast, um, um, who are telling their stories about what happened to them, their experiences, and also um, how it was dealt with, which I think is really, you know, fits in nicely with the theme of this whole podcast. So... They were talking about Manchester University, Oxford University and various other places. And I think it was a general, um, a general sort of outlook on these, these individual three cases. And it was quite interesting because it falls in line with the same things that I've been saying about, um, in this case, white women were treated better, which, you know, it was a rarity in, in the field that I'm working in, domestic abuse, where um, white middle-class women are treated badly um particularly badly it's probably the one of the most the times that they are most treated badly actually um but basically I thought I'd talk about these two experiences so um one of them was that I was um I'd moved straight into you know I was sharing in a, a house um I was in a close with other students and it was a student accommodation it was quite a nice student accommodation actually it's one of the reasons I'd put down that university choice and um we were very lucky and we were all settling in, you know, and um, getting to know everybody. There was a mixture of cultures, but that wasn't unusual to me. I was quite used to a mixture of cultures. I was, um, I'd lived in a rural area, but I'd also lived near a northern city. Um, I'd had access to that all the time. I'd been out nightlife, mixing with lots of different cultures and things. I'd grown up in a junior school where we had a lot of um, foreign students come from um, abroad. And so there was a, always that. And, and, and secondary school, in fact, as well, there was a fair mixture um of backgrounds and um things like that but I wouldn't say I was um I wouldn't say I was particularly uh clued up when it came to crime or anything like that I certainly wasn't able to handle myself in a fight I was um not that I've ever been in a fight but um you know, physically, um, sort of five foot three, five foot four. Um, at the time, I was sort of barely a size eight, if that, 
um, quite slim, quite, you know, um, non-athletic. I've, you know, played a bit of sport here and there and swam and, but not sort of, um, physically, um, intimidating in any way. And, um, basically I went off, you know, sort of, um, as you do, uh, finding your way through, through, through university. And there's a mixture in our household of people from London, Essex, you know, um, country west country all sorts you know and in the close there were people from south africa um uh france spain you name it um and basically i thought um i had two experiences really that i wanted to talk about there was the first one was um i decided to visit a friend i had lots of different friends that had dispersed all over the country and um some all over the world um to go off to, to do further studies after school and things and um one of my friends was um, at Cambridge University studying physics and I decided to take a journey. I didn't drive at the time, but I would, um, I must have been about around about sort of just school age, leaving really sort of 19, 18, 19. And um, I decided, you know, I wanted a little break. You know, we didn't have a great deal on at the time. I was going to take a nice little trip across on the National Express and go and visit my friend at Cambridge and spend a few days there, check out the union stuff and, and hang out and have, you know, some... Um, an interesting weekend and things and meet I, I did I had a great weekend and I met some really nice people and um I came back to share that with people but as I was getting on the bus and um sort of queuing up that evening you know with my bag and everything ready to to, to take this journey I think it was evening time sort of early evening time and um one of my flatmates um I unbeknown to me at the time um, so one of my flatmates was Singaporean. He joined the Singaporean Society. He was a really nice guy. Um, I think he was a Catholic background, actually. He was just like, you know, just a normal, nice, nice young man. And um, he sort of had a room opposite and, you know, we all got along with everybody and everything. And um, unbeknown to me, um, there were two people in this queue um, at the time who were also in the Singaporean Society who who knew him, but I didn't know this at the time. And I'm queuing up, there's a mixture of different people and there's a big belly. I'm not sure actually if it was just somebody standing there taking tickets or whether it was the actual bus driver or coach driver. It was um big sort of stocky, um, bald tall man um, and several other, you know, big men and all adults of different shapes and sizes and backgrounds and looks in this queue. And um, I'm just standing there and um, everyone, you know, these, these two ladies are just very, very quiet, standing there as well alongside and this drunken Irishman comes along and starts hurling abuse, verbal abuse, at um, right up in front, you know, in front of us, um, at these two ladies, and nobody did anything. And he was, you know, I would say mildly drunk, and I would say he was, you know, um, much older and things, like that. and he was just just very aggressive, very abusive. Um, you, you're responsible for the war and the death of my grandfather and all this and blah blah all this nonsense he was spewing racist abuse basically at these two ladies because they looked of um a sort of far eastern background if you like or I didn't actually know where they were from at the time it didn't even cross my mind um and he just went on and on and on and they just stood there sort of like rigid and sort of awkward and slightly backing off you know just just looking at him I think partly they were like shocked and partly didn't know what to do and partly sort of 
just you could see that one of them at least one of them was thinking what an idiot you know but um even so it was just so um in your face and so aggressive and it was right in front of me that this happened literally um less than a foot or two away from me and I stood there for literally what seemed like less than a minute and nobody did anything or said anything. And this man at the front, you know, didn't sort of say, oi, clear off, or what do you think you're doing? Or have you got a ticket? Nobody said a thing. And it was interesting. And I just instinctively, now I'm not one for conflict. I'm one that would always be, you know, like if there's any trouble, run away. I've been told, don't go to crowds, don't go to protests, don't do this, don't do that. You know, I would be off like a shot because I'm not streetwise at this point. I've not experienced, you know, I, I couldn't hold myself in a fight no chance and I just said I just stopped and I turned around I said to this man and he was going on and on and I just thought this guy's a problem do you know what I mean nobody's dealing with this what he's saying is a problem but his behavior is just completely out of order and nobody's doing anything so I just turned to him I said look I said um where are you from are you Irish and he says yes and I said all right I said well um I'm from near Liverpool I said um I'm you know um, not from around here. I said, um, what are you doing? I said, what's all this, this nonsense you see? And he says, oh, well, these people are my grandfather and blah, blah, blah. I said, look, I said, these are different times and this is a different generation of people. And I don't think you're making any sense. I said, at the end of the day, I said, my grandfather was, um, a prisoner of war. Did you know that? I said, um, I said, I, I just, I don't think it's very nice to you. And, you know, how old are these these people that you're shouting at? You know, what is it, what's it got to do with anything to do with your grandfather? You know, how silly. And I just said it in a very calm, very sort of natural, it just came out of my mouth. And reasonable way, and a sort of friendly way in a way. And he said, and he stopped in his tracks, this, this idiot who's ranting and raving, waving his arms about, sort of up and you know, shouting and waving his fist at these these poor women and um and and frightening me actually as well. Um and I said, look and he stopped and he said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I, I, you know, you're right, you're absolutely right, he says. And I said, and it, as an Irish person, you should know better like this. And he basically, I mean, I've got no Irish background. I use that sort of, there are people from this area who, you know, where I've been brought up that are, there's a lot of Irish um, background, but I'm not, that, I'm not one of them. Some Scottish, but not, not Irish. And I said to him, I said, look, you should know better. I said, um, and he, he apologised, starts apologising to me profusely in this sort of like silly, you know, you could tell he was a bit inebriated as well. So I said, look, I said, um, I wasn't going to try and reason, you know, with somebody like that. But I just wanted to diffuse the situation, really, and to say something, speak up. And he says to me, oh, um, so I was apologising. I said, look, I said, do you know what? I said, I don't think, I don't think I'm the person you, you should be apologising to, do you? And at that point, I just heard myself sounding like a proper teacher or something, you know, or a, <laughs> a sort of, you know, am I a teacher? Am I somebody's mother here? But this is what this man needed, you know, it was just somebody to kind of pull him up and say, hang on a minute, <laughs> think about what you're doing here. Um, and here I was, this, this probably the youngest person there, um, probably the smallest, slimmest person there as well. And I just, and I just said, you know, anyway, he apologised, says, yeah, you're absolutely right. And he starts apologising profusely to these women, blah, blah, blah. And then he starts, you know, and they just said, 
you know, sort of nodded in acknowledgement, sort of still backing away from him, like looking completely sort of in horror. And um, as if to say, just, you know, get away from me. And he starts getting money out, you know, trying to offer them money and stupid things. I said, look, I said, just stop it. I said, what are you doing? I said, just go away now. I think it's about time you left, don't you? Off you go. Um, You know, on your way sort of thing. And I thought... And that's all it took. And off he went. And he apologised and everything. And off he went. And I just said, I'm, I'm really, you know, what an idiot sort of thing. Or I can't remember the exact conversation I had with these, these ladies afterwards. It was sort of very... And we all proceed to get on this bus. And I walk past and I sort of look at this huge bloke standing at the front of this queue who was probably less than two metres away from us, to be honest. And just thought well, you didn't do anything. Did you just witness all of that, quite obviously, to everybody? And these two ladies went and they said, it's not even the right. She said, thank you very much. I said, well, you shouldn't have to thank me because it should never have happened. And I said, oh, you know, used to deal with people like that, seen people like that before. Because um, obviously I've been out in town, been, you know, come across people. Um, and she says to me, oh, um, you know, thank you. It's not even the right continent I can't remember the exact words she used but something like not even the right con- continent or the right country or the you know right reference of area that he's referring to there um because they're actually it turned out they're from Singapore and I said oh you know sort of thing what an idiot and it, as it happens as I'm walking down this coach sort of and I said are you all right and everything and these ladies sat down um I said well it just shows their ignorance doesn't it you know sort of thing and these two, these three Japanese men, quite big Japanese men, who, funny enough, I hadn't noticed. <laughs> How I hadn't noticed them, I don't know, all in suits, handed me their business cards and everything and, and, and pulled me aside, you know, and said, oh, you know, well done and this, that and the other and everything. And I thought, hang on a minute, you were there the whole time, <laughs> you know. Um, but I just was very polite with them. I didn't know who they were or what, you know, what they were giving their card for or whether they were just strange, pervy blokes or what, I don't know. But I just, you know very graciously they didn't speak a lot of English and so I I just said oh you know but I think they gathered what was going on and um gave me the card and were very sort of you know I think it was a gesture to say you know we've all we all agree you know in that and that we admire what you just said and did and I thought I just did something very simple there in you know in in public and I was going to say in broad daylight but it wasn't quite in broad daylight because it was starting to go dark at this time um and you know, I just thought, well, if I can do that. Anyway, I happened to get come back from my little trip away at Cambridge and having had a nice time and everything, and never thought anything of it, really. It was just one of those little things. And I got back, and I'd ordered pizzas, and I came back, and I said to everyone, oh, I've brought pizzas back, and everyone said, oh, how, you know, how have you got on and everything. And um, it turned out, unbeknownst to me, that this housemate of mine... Um, knew these girls and this this story had got back to them and, and he said, oh, thank you very much and, you know, that was a really good thing you did and I said, oh, I said, really? I said, what small world? I didn't even know that, you know, they were part of your society or, um, I said, well, it was just an idiot, you know, it was just something that anybody would have done, isn't it? Um, and it just shows you really, doesn't it? Um, you know, it, it was just a very simple situation that was dealt with as in, what you're doing is wrong, stop doing it, think about what you're doing, off you toddle, you know, apologise and go away, you know, um, and you didn't need any more than that really, and I think when you watch this documentary, if you choose to watch it on iPlayer, called um, Is My Uni Racist, you'll find that where these things escalated really was because, 
you know, people could have just stopped it at the beginning and said, look, we made a mistake, we got it wrong, um, we shouldn't have done that, it was completely out of order, we'll rethink our whole attitude for the future. And it was as simple as that, really. But it's because it wasn't handled and because people ignored it or they didn't deal with it or it went on and on and on that it really affected um, the people who were the target of it, really. Um, And I think that that's a a big message. Now, there's another aspect of this um, at uni that I wanted to talk about and touch on, which is I've been a little bit reluctant to because it's not... Not because it's a bad memory or because it's affected me or anything like that, but because um, it's a touchy subject, given what I've just said. And that is that there were cultures, um, lots of different cultures at university, but there were cultures that came across um, and I had... um, There were three incidents, in fact, that happened with a particular man who was a mature student there. Um, And there were other incidents as well. Um, of men coming from abroad from different backgrounds who had a certain attitude towards Western women. And for whatever reason, now it might be that they were just a particular group of men, you know, and it's not reflective of their particular culture, but they would proclaim that it was. Um, And they'd come here with a certain attitude, which I think was reflected in some of the grooming gangs scandals in the UK and if you've ever looked into that I think I've touched on this before um with certain you know and there were this this attitude towards women and girls um in the UK I think is across all sectors of society I've certainly experienced it from white men and women I've experienced it from you know other cultures as well and I think it's all a problem so I don't want to kind of label one category but all I wanted to say was on the other side of that um, there was an attitude and this individual um, was domineering he threatened um, a male with a knife he threatened a friend of mine at a party um, and trying to assault her and he'd also um, tried to assault me as well and I'd gone ahead eventually and reported this and the other thing to say was that um, in this case, uh, the police were extremely good, actually. Um, and I had proper CID, um, proper interview, and everything was treated very well. And I had a very positive experience. I would say this was um, going back to over 15 years ago, let's just say that. Um, but there was this interesting uh, culture um, coming in that I'd not come across before and it was that um you know western women had a I was it was commented on that I had short hair at the time I have now have long hair of a different color it was commented on the color of my eyes it was commented on the way I dressed it was commented and this man went round sort of asking people how many people have you slept with to the women and you know don't you think you ought to be feeding us get making us a cup of tea or making us a and this sort of thing and it used to be this sort of like idea and then he would pressurize me because he thought I should be going out with his male friend and I'd chosen who I wanted to embark on getting to know or um, starting any sort of you know relationship or interaction with was my business and he seemed to think it was his business and you could see this sort of we've talked a lot about controlling nature and controlling um women he seemed to think that um women particularly um western women for some reason were there for a certain purpose and he was dating one of the other um european students who was a western woman white woman 
And at the same time, he was angry with her and the assault on me was actually, um, and I'm sure of this, the the assault that he tried on me and the threatening behaviour, including smashing a bottle and things like that, was, in fact, um, he was angry with her. And so he decided to take it on me. And I think it was a building, a gradual building, actually, between him and his male colleague who fancied me, who I'd rejected, wasn't interested in, you know, um, a growing sense of, well, who are these women here and who do they think they are? You know, um, you've got two sort of, you know, and he thought he was obviously Mr. Macho Man, you know, it was obviously not my my type at all. Um, and... I don't, I'm not going to go into the details of those assaults and what happened and things that went on. Um, I'm not even going to mention the specific cultures um, that were involved. Um, but they were men and they were from a very different culture. But, it, you know, I'm, I'm hesitant to say this because I think it was relevant. But I'm hesitant to say it because I obviously have experienced it within my own local area, within my own culture. And... I wouldn't say it's my culture personally, not my family background, not my friends, not where I live specifically, but in the area, you know, within a 25, 30 mile radius, say, of where I live, there are institutions still going on um, that I have experienced where um, these people from this area, these, these white males and females from this area, as well as others thrown in the mix, there is some influence from outside cultures, I know that. I know that there's money. I've discovered that there's money being invested from certain places abroad, which are influencing some of these, particularly the legal firms and their little projects and their very um, their sidelines, their money-making sidelines. I've, I've investigated this. However, the direct approach of the people on the ground, say um, the ordinary frontline worker, within these systems, the attitude of them was very poor and they were your typical local white male. Um, an old one, a younger one, um, and a sort of middle-aged one as well. So, and the women who were sort of going along with that as well and, and part of that bullying culture as well, which is very interesting, very interesting indeed. Um, so it shows that these attitudes really are everywhere. And there are people in every place and in every aspect of our multicultural country, our, our different cities, different towns and everything, who hold these views and who um, misuse them to to make people feel uneasy and, and frightened and controlled. And, you know, it really worries me um, because... Whether you're on the receiving end of somebody saying, oh, well, you're from here, you know, as it, as it shows in this documentary um, on BBC, you know, you're of a certain colour, you're walking around at a certain time, you must be a drug dealer, was the first case. And I just thought that was awful because this poor guy had been, you know, basically manhandled by two huge blokes. I mean, he was only a young lad. Um, and on the other side of that, and it shows that it's it's really classless, a bit like the domestic violence, it's really classless. Um, it's assumed that it's usually in these certain areas or certain people behaving a certain way. And it's not, it's actually right across the board. Um, and these are educated people, this is what gets me as well. These institutions, whether it be a university or a, um, a court or um, 
a local service or um, many of these people, not all of them, but many of them within the institutions are educated. Um, and many of these bullies, some of them are not, some of them are just, you know, they're kind of administration. Um, then that's part of the problem is that they are not, that that's their job to get things out, to get things done by deadline. They don't care about the people they're dealing with. They don't have any um, dignity or diligence about that or sense of purpose or any right really to make, make any proper decisions and that might be part of the problem in the lower levels but in the higher levels in the in the mid-range levels and the middle management and the directorship and the um all these levels and local government and local councils and everything they do have the ability to process this information and educate themselves and everything and one of the things that's come out really lately is the victim focus study um, done by Dr. Jess Taylor, and I think everybody needs to get a copy of that. So you can look that up, the victim focus um, study, look it up online, and you know, it's going around at the moment. You can get a free download of the findings of the research, and you can also get um, a booklet, I think it's £3, a written booklet. And I think this should be going out, this should be rolling out to every. Um, every lawyer in the country dealing with victims, every school um, teacher should have a copy, every police officer should have a copy, um, everybody in social services or children's departments or adult departments or domestic violence work should have a copy, um, everybody in the NHS should have a copy, um, everybody in religious institutions should have a copy, um, everybody in Kafka should have a copy and they should be taking this seriously. Um, the findings, um, because these are real people coming forward. I think there's a lot of collecting things on a different, you know, um, the way that data has been collected, I think, has been questioned because up until now, up until this particular study and others, and we know of journalists and we know of charities that are producing figures that show that the official figures for what's really happening are not reflective of what's really going on. And there could be a number of reasons for this. Um, I believe that there are a number of reasons for this, and I think there are pressures of people with uh, statistics and deadlines and, and all this sort of thing, but it's no excuse in my view. If you've trained to do a job and you, you are there for a purpose, then you should be there for a genuine purpose. And what worries me, um, in, in particularly in those stories on that particular documentary, was that the complaints procedure, and this is right across the board, this isn't just universities, this is all institutions, that a, an adequate complaints procedure was not in place. Um, and I think they just think that, well, we've got these rules and we stick to this and therefore that is. But I think the wider context of are we really doing the best? I think all these institutions and all these processes and procedures need to think are and have a rethink, really. Are we really, you know, being accessible? Are we offering that support? Are we doing the right thing here? Have we got limitations on time limits that are unreasonable? Um have we got the support for people to gather evidence or or come forward or are they are they being informed of the process because this is one thing that's right across the board and I've experienced myself you don't know what's happening during the process you know they say oh it's being dealt with or we're going to do the following or we have done the following but they don't talk to the, you about what's happening and what they will be doing and and at each and every stage it's so important that they meet with you um 
and not just offer you support or counselling or whatever, but actually say to you, well, look, we are acknowledging this. This is what we will do. We will do it within this time frame. We will um, be following this, the following procedure and we will be questioning the following people and doing the following things. And we will be informing you along the way as to the outcome, um, etc. And this is just not happening. And then at the end of some of these processes, they can go through it all and it can all be done quite well at, at times. And then there's nothing at the end of it. It's as if it was a, it was just a superficial process, really. Um, or it was a superficial initial reaction, hoping you'll just get fobbed off and go away. And I don't, th- I think it underestimates just how much courage and strength and especially in the state of mind when somebody's been abused in some way or other to come forward to actually process that to actually compile that they need somebody to come out and actually sit down and it's always i hear this time and time again well that we can't do that it's not our job that we don't come to meetings we don't we can't come to house and look through we don't have time for that oh well we'll come out to you on this date then oh sorry we're gonna have to cancel because we're in a meeting or oh well um you know, we come out and, oh, well, I haven't got, I've only got an hour, I've only got half an hour, I've got to dash off, I've got a phone call off somebody. And they never come back. Or we're going to deal with this, thank you for bringing this to our attention, but it's not on record. So what you find as well is that they have their own records. So they send out people to do tap, 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 a quick record and then buzz off. But the correspondence between you and the department saying, well, Hank, for those of people who actually do pluck up the courage and and have the ability to um, voice their questions or their confusion or wanting answers um, or wanting to help improve the process and the system and the situation, often have genuine intent. And that is that they, they don't want to be claiming compensation or they often just want an apology and acknowledgement and to improve things and to do the right thing. What people don't realise is that victims come forward not because they want to be a victim or because they want to um, gain something from it. They don't gain anything from it. In fact, very often they are bullied, shouted at and abused even more for coming forward. And what I think really needs to happen, and if anybody working in any of these environments or responsible for any of these things, don't pass the book to somebody else and say it's somebody else's job to do it. Go out, sit down, help this person put together the, the, the materials they need and, and guide them through the process and ask them at every stage, is this what you want? Is this the best way forward? And keep reevaluating those processes on a regular basis, not separately from the people that it affects in your own little world, in your own little meetings, in your own little life, because that's one of the big problems as well is that you've got a lot of people sitting there in little offices somewhere in the ether that have nothing to do with the individuals on the ground that it affects. And they are saying, oh, well, we've come up with this wonderful idea and strategy and we're going to implement it, but we're not going to actually let the people on the ground know how they can access it, ask them if it's working properly, ask them for their input in it, change things as we go along as they need to be changed and adapted. Um, because of how it's actually working and there's nothing that happens after that it's just we've done a great job we've designed this plan to improve things and it's only when somebody puts something on social media or kicks up a big fuss or goes to a journalist that it's even recognized Um, and how many people have missed out 
or been set back. There was one lady in the documentary who had been had to miss education um, and had suffered mental health and panic attacks as a result of this. And all she wanted really was just an apology from the person who did it or said it. And how badly mishandled was that, that it escalated to that level? But this is not uncommon. This is my whole point, really, is to say that this is not uncommon. This is right across the board. This is a huge problem. Um, And I don't think it just relates to racism. I think it relates to all these things. Um, And it's not a case of virtue virtue signaling or, you know, victimhood or any of these stupid things that are, are used to kind of, you know, deflect. Somebody's personal experience of what's happened to them yes you might get the odd person who um you feel um has taken something or a comment or something um really really to heart but does does each one of those people not does it that do their views not matter they are all paying um as members of society or members of universities they're all paying to you know to be in these institutions in some way or, or another. So in a way, they're the paying customer. Um, they're also, whether they're paying or not, whether they're receiving aid or whether they're receiving sponsorship, um, we have a duty. They are human beings, you know. Um, we're all human beings. And I think if it, if it hasn't happened to you yet, the chances are it probably will do. And there's nobody exempt from it is the is the main point that I'm making here. Um that we ought to all be working towards a much better learning process, a much better um consideration for others, etc. And yes, we want freedom of speech. I want freedom of speech. Um but we also don't want people hiding away, having panic panic attacks, um feeling bullied brutalized and attacked and having their lives turned upside down just by idiocy really and that's what it boils down to um you know and somebody just and the process and the 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 structure not being there to say hang on a minute you can't do that it's out of order you need to sort that out or you need to clear off elsewhere you know and I think the more we do that it's a little bit like dealing with um children or school it feels a little bit like that um and I'm not one for micromanaging I think that can be counterproductive because people become dishonest they become devious they become resentful but what I'm talking about here is is having a very clear um process that you and clear information right from the start you must not do the following things if you do this will be happening and these people will come forward and it will happen because it's there and it works and it's functioning properly and it's being reassessed all the time to to make sure that it's worked on the basis that the people it affects are happy with it and have voiced and had their their opinions heard on that so what can we take about away from this positively? I'm not sure, really, that there is much to take away from it positively. I always try and end on a positive note. <laughs> um, one thing I was just going to drop in, um, one of the, the wonderful things that... Um, there's a lovely lady who's on um, social media, and her name's Coco Bertherman, I think her name is. Um, she's a victim and survivor um, of abuse, and she's a lovely lady. And she's um, she was talking, she's put a little video on today that I was going to mention. Um, she was talking about, now, 
I find this, like, the whole concept of this very strange, but um, I just thought I'd put it out there in case anyone was interested, of having ice baths. And I've heard of this for sports people um, as a sort of treatment or therapy. Um, I haven't heard of it, and I don't know the si- if the science behind it is a good thing or not. I would recommend anyone check with their um, clinicians or, you know, uh, physicians before doing this, because I know that having a quick shock to the system could be dangerous for some people. But... Um, she was talking about ice baths. Now, I don't have a bath. I only have a shower. So a cold shower would do. Um, currently, I'm not brave enough for that. I see people jumping in the sea. There's this new thing of people swimming in freezing cold temperatures. I'm not for that either. We always And, and sometimes in the winter, I have to say, my father, who is um, a retired um, physician, said to me, I'm not sure that's good for some people. You know, they might have a heart attack or they might go into shock. Um so, you know, proceed with caution. But apparently this this idea of um, going into a, this this idea of having a nice bath um, from the sort of neck down for three minutes um, has helped her. And she's doing it under the guidance of somebody who um, uses this method. Um, and she was explaining, you know, um, how it works and um, how it sort of balances everything and how your body regulates its temperature after a minute or so anyway. Um, and so it was helping her to deal with some of her trauma symptoms. So whether you want to go, I, I personally don't think I'm ready for going to that extreme. Um, but it might be something that people want to look into, um, as I say, on, on careful advice. Um, personally, I've just found that, um, there's some nice little things that are less, less extreme than that, like, um, that I found from the, the meditation site that I've been following, um, which is just every evening to take, um, a bucket of warm water with salts in it, um, and just to soak your feet for, I think it says 10 to 15 minutes. It sounds like a very simple, silly thing to do. Um, and even if you don't believe in any spiritual side of it or scientific side of it, um, you can always look into it and you can always just try it for relaxation. So I think, you know, three levels to always look on these things is the scientific level. What does it actually do for me? The spiritual level, what does it do for me and my well-being? if you're into that sort of thing? Or the purely, well, I don't believe in any of that, but I do believe that it's relaxing and it helps me to just ground myself, focus, centre myself or relax or um, feel better. So you know, there's just an idea for everybody. And, um, I was trying to add in some of these, these ideas at the end, just to, just to give people something new to think about really. Um, right. So I'm off to feed my pets now and, um, and I'm still recovering from an, um, a bug. So, um, slowly but surely. So, uh, hope you all, all have a great day and, uh, I'll be back soon. Bye.